Hello, friends, and welcome back to the 200th episode of the Liz Moody podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. And I honestly cannot believe that this is the 200th episode and that it lined up with my book launch date. That was literally not planned. I saw it on the calendar last week and I was just mind boggled. Like, what are the odds? We have a lot to celebrate today. You getting to finally read this book that I've worked on for so long that I am so proud of and 200 episodes of getting to learn from the world's biggest experts about getting richer, dealing with grief, helping our pets live as long and well as possible, climate change, style secrets, tapping into our creative selves, dismantling the patriarchy, healing our guts, our hormones, our anxiety, tackling negative body image, and so, so, so much more. I am so proud of the wide range of topics we cover on this podcast because I believe it is all connected. Our microbiomes impact our brain and our mental health. We know this. This is proven science. And then our mental health impacts our relationships and our ability to perform at work and experience the success that we desire. And then both of those things impact our stress levels. And then our stress levels have a huge impact on the health of our microbiome. It's all connected. So when we address one thing on its own, we're never going to be able to actually experience the change that we want to see in our lives. And that's what this podcast has been about since the beginning, giving you the science and the action steps to solve your problems, addressing anything and everything that's keeping you from living your unique best life. And along the way, giving you plenty of food for thought, laughs, and interesting conversation starters for your friends and family. I always say that one of the many reasons I feel so lucky to get to host this podcast is because I always have something new and interesting to talk about with Zach and with my friends. Hosting this podcast and getting to have these conversations is my absolute dream job. And I am so grateful for every single one of you for making it possible and coming along on this journey with me. Today, in celebration of my book's launch, I'm going to share the top five habits that have changed my own life the most. In the book, you're going to get a hundred ways to change your life, and every single way has both the science, which is made really accessible and interesting and fun, and an action step, something that you can do today to actually apply that science and change your life. I found with so many books I buy, especially in the personal growth or self-help arena, I read them and I feel really good while I'm reading them. I'm like, oh yeah, I can do it. I am awesome. But then that feeling wears off almost immediately afterward and I'm like, well, wait, what should I actually do? It's almost like eating a Cheeto. It's almost satisfying, but not quite. So you immediately need more and it's kind of designed to be that way. So you have to buy more and more and more to be satisfied. This book is designed as the antidote to that. Everything is grounded in reality. It's not like, woohoo, you can do it. Love yourself. It's like, here are the scientific reasons behind why you're not able to love yourself. And here's exactly what to do today in this moment to tackle them. Here's exactly why you don't have the energy that you want, and here's what to do about it. It's like a personal growth book for people who are very frustrated by personal growth, which is my entire MO here on the podcast and on my social media. 
Because the thing is, you can actually change the way your brain thinks. There's literal neuroscience behind it, and we have a number of tips in the book designed to take advantage of our neuroplasticity and literally rewire our neural networks to feel happier, to think more positive thoughts, etc. There's real science there, so why not take advantage of that instead of the platitudes and empty words that litter the self-help space? Okay, so today I will start by sharing the five habits that have changed my life the most and that I attribute my success, my happiness, being at the place that I am in my life right now to. And then I will dive into your questions about habits, about my journey to get here, about the book writing process, all of that type of stuff. It's going to be an entire party, so buckle up. I want to caveat this with saying that these are the five habits that I feel have changed my life the most right now. And that's important because the tools that we need, the habits that we need, are going to change throughout our lives. It's the reason I designed the book the way that I did. It has 18 categories that span all sections of your life. So you can use it as a forever resource as your needs and goals change. Maybe one month you're feeling especially lonely, so you flip to the chapter about how to make and keep friends, and you start to use the tools from the tip about how to attract your dream friends. Maybe another month you're feeling the stress of the world, and you flip to the section about how to restore and reset, the section about building resilience, or the section about how to feel calmer. A key thing that's often missing from the conversations we have about habits and wellness tools is that we should always be reevaluating them so that we don't end up wasting our precious time, our precious money on things that aren't working for us or we no longer need. It's kind of like relationships. Some habits and tools are meant to serve you for short periods, but they are so, so critical and important in those short periods, while others are meant to last for a lifetime. And both are important and both are okay, but that awareness is so critical. So a meta habit, a little bonus habit on top of all of the other habits that I'm about to share is to constantly be asking yourself, what is my goal with this habit? How am I measuring success in terms of reaching that goal? Is the habit actually helping me reach that success? And then being okay with changing it up, trying something new if that's what you need at the time. It's interesting. Some people have told me like, wow, 100 Ways to Change Your Life is a lot. That's kind of an intimidating title for a book. And first of all, like I said, the book is not designed to have you do everything at once. There's 100 ways in there so you get the value of 50 books in one. So it can be a long-term tool in your life. But second, our lives are always changing. To be human, to live is to change. Every moment, every day, things are shifting, whether it's in our relationships, in the world at large, in ourselves. This book and this podcast too, they're just about having the tools to embrace that change, to have it feel positive instead of scary. Life is change, and I'm here to give you the tools to deal with that. Okay, habit number one, focusing on the base of the pyramid. This is based on tip 91 in the book, which is in the How to Build Resilience section. It's called Create a Mental Health Checklist, and it's from famed psychologist Dr. Julie Smith. She shares the five things that make up the base for our mental health, social connection, good nutrition, routine, sleep, and movement. 
The idea is that you put that list on a sticky note or on your phone or somewhere you see it regularly to remind you to prioritize those things. And then also so that when you find yourself in a less than ideal mental health day, you can run down the list and ask yourself, how's my sleep been lately? Am I missing good routines? Have I eaten a vegetable recently or have I been eating a lot of food that doesn't make me feel my best? And you can go down the list like check, check, check. And then if one is missing, that is a great sign that you should focus on that thing and you will start to feel better. I extrapolate that idea, though, to focusing on the base of the pyramid. What do I mean by that? The base of the pyramid is made up of those boring basic habits that we so rarely talk about, but that really make up the vast, vast majority of how we feel on a day-to-day basis. I cannot tell you how many DMs I've gotten from people who are stressing out about whether they should buy this specific supplement or that one, or they're asking if they should do a vitamin IV. And I get further down the conversation and I find out they're not adding vegetables into their meals. They don't have a single stress relief practice. They don't prioritize time with their community. They don't prioritize sleep. These are the things that are actually responsible for our health. Look, there's a lot to be said for top of the pyramid wellness. There's great science behind the efficacy for a lot of supplements and certainly behind any of the ones that I take or will ever recommend to any of you. If you want to stress out about every single ingredient in every bite that you eat, I am not going to be able to stop you. But just know that even though it's not sexy, even though you can't make it into trends that drive article clicks or products that you can sell for money, the base of the pyramid is always going to be responsible for the foundation of how you feel. The rest are tweaks. They are optimization. They are icing on the cake. The icing is good, but you need a cake underneath. People always ask me, what was the thing that truly turned the tables on my agoraphobia? I was having panic attacks whenever I got out of bed. I couldn't leave the house. I get asked on social media, on TV, in podcast interviews, what was the thing that made the biggest difference? And the true answer is that it was a lot of things. The tools experts shared when I reached out about my anxiety, starting to eat better. Green smoothies were a big, big, big part of my early wellness journey, a movement practice. But if I am really honest, the thing that made the biggest difference was getting a full-time job in an office. That happened maybe a year after the worst stage of my anxiety. I had gotten to a place where I could go on walks. I could go to the grocery store, but I was still really, really anxious. I remember going to a friend's bachelorette party at the time and not being able to go out to any of the bars or clubs because they felt so overstimulating. And I was also asking a lot of questions at the time, like I wanted to know every element of the plan and I was trying to make the room, which like six of us were sharing this one little room with two double beds. I wanted to make it super dark and quiet because I was so nervous about not getting a good night's sleep and then that being a big anxiety trigger. And one of the girls was like, wow, Liz, I thought you were like a chill world traveler, I didn't realize that you were so high maintenance. And it just felt devastating in the moment because I had self-identified as this person who had traveled by myself for years, who was chill and fun and go with the flow. And now I was uptight and high strung and I was still too nervous to tell anyone that it was because of my anxiety. It just felt like such a blow to the person that I wanted to be. 
Anyway, that's where I was mentally when we moved back to New York City and I got hired full-time at MindBody Green where I ended up being the food director. Better than in bed, but not by a ton. And I remember thinking, is this job going to send me back into full-blown agoraphobia? I'd have to wake up consistently early, which would stress me out about getting a good night's sleep. I'd have to commute. I'd have deadlines and people relying on me. I'd be in an office filled with people all day long. I honestly barely took the job because I was so nervous about its impact on my mental health. But it was my dream job and also I just really needed money to, you know, live. But that job was the true turning point in my agoraphobia journey. And you know why? Because that job provided a routine that gave me structure. My anxiety had convinced me that structure was the enemy, but all brains, and especially anxious brains, crave structure. And that job provided me with community. I'd thought people were adding to my anxiety because I'd spent so long trying to hide my panic from them so as not to be perceived poorly. But people were the antidote to my anxiety. At that point, I'd been taking the ashwagandha and the magnesium and doing the breathwork practices and all of that. But the job provided me with the community and routine that served as the base of my pyramid. Social connection, good nutrition, routine, sleep, and movement. Really go through and ask yourself if any of those need your attention. I know they sound boring, but they are the foundation. And a solid foundation is what keeps us safe and secure. The second habit that has changed my life the most is prioritizing how much I focus on my relationships. For years, I, like I think a lot of us, viewed hanging out with my friends as something that I got to do after I checked off everything on my to-do list, after I finished my work for the day, after I worked out, after I did my chores around the house. But then I interviewed Dr. Robert Waldinger on the January 25th, 2023 episode of the podcast. It's the one called The Secret to Happiness from the World's Longest Study, and it is one of my favorites. I highly, highly recommend it. But the primary finding of that study is that the quality of our relationships determines the length and happiness of our lives. There were a lot of other findings from the study, which spanned literally over 80 years, but that was the bottom line absolute key takeaway. Our relationships determine the quality of our lives. Yet, we treat them like an afterthought. We act like they're a little treat for us when we finish all of our real-life things. There's a tip in the book that's really helpful for switching this thinking. It's in the How to Be Happier section, and the tip is called Make Your Schedule Match Your Values. And I'm just going to read you a small snippet of it really quick. When we put things into our calendar, we give them priority in our lives. And when we consistently add nothing but work tasks to our calendar, well, it's not a surprise that the work tasks get accomplished, often at the expense of the relationships with others and with ourselves. My entire life changed when I started to add my personal goals to my calendar. I'll put a recurring meeting on my calendar to call my mom or pencil in a five-minute block to text a friend to check in. I have date nights with Zach on my calendar, blocks to drink a smoothie with him outside before a long day, and quarterly finance check-ins. Beyond that, I also schedule in my commitments to myself. Meditation goes in the calendar, along with daily workouts. My beloved Cirque Walk, in the calendar. My workouts, in the calendar. 
even time to relax, to read a book and just chill. It goes on the calendar and not just in the leftover space from my many to-dos. My rest is a priority, key to my mental health and enjoyment of life, and as necessary to my productivity as my moments of go, go, go. If I can take a break another time, great. But putting it in the calendar ensures that it will happen at least at the minimum of what I'm okay with. You can read more about that in the book, but for now, I want you to think about giving your relationships the priority level that they deserve in your life. It makes such a huge difference in health and happiness. This tip extends further than even day-to-day choices. I actually haven't talked about this publicly yet, but after a lot of contemplation and thought, Zach and I have decided to rent a place in the Bay Area for a year starting this winter right after my book tour. And while I love a lot of things about the Bay Area, I think it has some of the best nature of any urban area that I've been to, the primary reason behind that decision was that right now, that's where most of our community is. We've been debating where to live for years, and we've been debating things like weather and the types of restaurants and job opportunities and what type of nature we'd be close to, and we've had hundreds of hours of conversation about these things. And on basically every stop of Nomad Life, we've been like, could we live here? What about here? But it was so clarifying to have that conversation with Dr. Waldinger. Of course, at different times, it makes sense for people to prioritize different things, and a lot of people don't have a choice about where they live. But for me, I was like, I should be prioritizing my community. I have the biggest concentration of people that fill my cup, that soothe my soul in the Bay Area. Why would I pass up the opportunity to immerse myself in that? There are a ton of tips in the book about enhancing all types of relationships in your life, But the starting place for this one is really considering the priority that you give your relationships in your days and decisions. Science shows that they are the literal number one thing, the thing that matters the most for our longevity and happiness, and we need to start acting accordingly. I absolutely love a low-lift daily habit that has a big payoff over time. It's why I am always asking podcast guests for little hacks and tips that we can all do easily to live a better life without sacrificing a ton of time or energy. And that's why I love AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I know there are a lot of people who wonder if AG1 is overhyped because so many people talk about it, but in this case, it's just one of those things that's super hyped because it's actually that good. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day, no matter how the rest of the day goes, especially for gut health and immune support. I just mix a scoop of AG1 into my water. You can also mix it into juice or a smoothie, but I genuinely love the taste, so I go with water. And boom, you have this incredible insurance that you've gotten your foundational nutrition in from that one-minute habit in your day. I'm always trying to eat veggie-packed, nutritionally dense meals, but I am not perfect, so AG1 helps support me with 75 vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, and adaptogens to cover the bases. I love how it gives me some gentle energy right after I drink it without any jitters so it doesn't stoke my anxiety like caffeine. It gives me a ton of mental clarity and clears any sluggishness or brain fog that I have, which is why even though a lot of people start their day with it, I actually prefer to drink mine in the early afternoon when I have that 3 p.m. slump. And it is not a placebo effect. AG1 has so many ingredients that have been extensively researched for their brain health effects like rhodiola root dry extract, hawthorn berry, and rosemary to name just a few. 
It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything, and they are third-party tested, which is always so important to look for. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a one-year supply of their amazing vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. That's drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. I spend so much of my time interviewing the world's best doctors right here on this podcast that it makes my standards so high when I'm looking for new doctors of my own. Truly, I am so picky when it comes to who's providing my care. It used to feel impossible to find good doctors. I would ask everybody I know for the recommendations, and I would scour the internet for reviews and write-ups, and it would take me literally forever. And then when I'd finally found my dream doctor, there was always a snag in the plan. They would either be booked out for a year or not accepting new patients at all or not take my insurance. It was always such a nightmare, and it left me starting right back over again at square one. That is until I found ZocDoc. It is like my dream come true. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We are talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition you're searching for. You can find therapists, gynecologists, dermatologists, general practitioners, anyone you need. And you can read reviews of those people written by actual patients so you won't get someone with a crappy bedside manner or who isn't up to date on the latest research. You can get a really good vibe before you even walk into the office. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked through ZocDoc is between just 24 and 72 hours, and you can even score same-day appointments. Once you find the doctor you're looking for, you can book immediately right through the app. You don't have to send any emails or get on the phone, which saves so much time. I genuinely do not know where I would be if ZocDoc hadn't entered my life probably still wasting hours away on the internet trying to find the doctor of my dreams. We all deserve the best possible healthcare, and I am so thankful that ZocDoc makes it so easy to find. Go to ZocDoc.com slash Liz Moody and download the ZocDoc app for free, and then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Liz Moody. ZocDoc.com slash Liz Moody. Habit three is seriously reevaluating my relationship with alcohol. I know I've shared a lot of my intentional drinking journey already, so we don't need to dive too deep into that. But about a year and a half ago, I completely changed my relationship with alcohol. While I'm not completely sober, I went from drinking at least two or three times a week, and I would say getting properly tipsy or drunk a few times a month probably, to drinking two or three times a year and I haven't actually gotten drunk at all in that year and a half. The podcast series from January 2023 is called The Health Effects of Alcohol, and I am incredibly proud of it. It's not scary or shaming at all. Like almost every single one of the doctors that I interviewed still drinks on occasion, but it gives such important information about how alcohol is actually impacting our cancer risk, our brain health, our gut health, our hormone health, and more. 
and exactly what we can do about those impacts. I'm going to read you a little passage from the book. Having this information made me look at alcohol differently. Were the results I was experiencing actually worth the harm I was causing to my body? Was it actually enhancing my life on net? I stopped drinking almost entirely then and found out that, in fact, it wasn't. Because we're all already the person we think alcohol is making us. All alcohol does is lower our inhibition so we let that person come out. If you dance for hours on end when you're drinking, you are already that dancer. If you're witty and charming, you are already that delightful conversationalist. If you think you're gorgeous when you're drunk, you are already that stunning person. The alcohol just let you silence your inner critic so those parts of yourself could come out without fear of rejection. Moreover, not drinking hasn't been nearly as awkward or embarrassing as I thought it would be. If someone judges you for not drinking, well, isn't that embarrassing for them? Why do they care so much? I also find there's an initial hump right at the beginning of a night out or social gathering where everyone is ordering drinks and loosening up, and I have to use my own mental resources to relax and get into that conversational flow. But once that happens, I am set. I'm off to the races, ready to be a sparkling conversationalist for the rest of the evening while everyone else is getting more cognitively impaired. I actually find people enjoy spending time out with me more now because I'm able to bring more to the table. Not drinking has also been an encouragement to be more creative with the time I spend with friends, resulting in game nights filled with belly-aching laughter, cookbook potluck parties, and outdoor adventures. I've also found new ways to relax after work that leave me feeling truly restored, relaxed, and ready to take on the next day. And then I share all of those specific ways in the book. We actually have an entire how to restore and reset section, but I wanted to read that part because flipping my mindset around alcohol has made such a huge difference in my need for it. If you'd told me even three years ago that drinking wouldn't be a regular part of my life, I would have laughed in your face. It truly felt like everyone drank and like I had to drink too to fit in to be the person that I wanted to be. And I can tell you assuredly after barely drinking for a year and a half, I fit in fine. My friendships are stronger than ever. My favorite drink at dinners or bars right now is I ask for half unsweetened lemon juice and half sparkling water and it makes basically an unsweetened lemonade that is so, so good. And I sip on that all night and I am just happy as a clam. Or if it's a bar that can make interesting mocktails, I love a really complex and sophisticated mocktail so much, but I do find a lot of bars these days make them really sweet and not that interesting, hence usually just going with the sparkling lemonade. But my social life is thriving, my relationships are thriving, and I feel so much better in my body than I ever have Not drinking has helped my anxiety so much. It's helped my energy. It's helped my sleep. Zach actually stopped drinking or mostly stopped. He's an intentional drinker like I am. When he got an aura ring and he realized how much drinking was impacting his sleep, even when he did not feel drunk. 
If you are listening and any of this is resonating, I'd recommend picking up a copy of the book and flipping to tip 72 about alcohol. And then there are also a bunch of tips in there about solving problems you might think giving up alcohol is creating. Like we have tips about being a sparkling conversationalist and making more friends and being a fun magnet. And then I highly recommend that podcast series that I mentioned. It's called The Health Impacts of Alcohol, and it is from January 2023. Habit four is keeping promises to myself. This is in the book under the self-love chapter, and the reason for that is this. Self-love is dependent on self-trust, and self-trust is created by keeping the promises that we make to ourselves. Think about it like this. Let's say every day you tell yourself that you won't reach for your phone first thing in the morning, and then every day you're like, eh, whatever, and then you pick it up first thing and you scroll. Let's say you tell yourself you're going to do a workout, and then later you don't feel like it and you don't do it. These moments feel so little, but in them, we are teaching ourselves not to believe our own words. So then when we look in the mirror and we say, I believe in you, I love you, when we try to say these kind things to ourselves, we don't believe them. Why should we? We've trained our brain into thinking that our word isn't believable. Keeping promises that I make to myself, both small and large, has been an absolute game changer in my life. And just having this information, making this connection between self-love and self-trust has changed everything because then in the moment when I don't want to do that meditation I promised myself, when I'm scrolling, when I told myself that I wouldn't, I can catch myself and I can say, this is chipping away at your self-trust. This is chipping away at your ability to affirm yourself and believe it. Life is spent building our relationships with ourselves. At a minimum, we need to give ourselves the same courtesy and kindness that we would give a partner or a friend. I want you to imagine this. You are in a relationship with someone and they keep saying, I'm going to take the trash out. I'm going to take the trash out. But day after day, the trash piles up. Are you going to believe them the next time they say they're going to do something? Are you going to believe them when they say they care about you if you've told them that a way that they show their care is in part through their contribution? Our words don't stand alone. Our beliefs don't stand alone. Both are the product of a long history of actions. Keep the promises that you make to yourself. If you say you're going to meditate, meditate. If you say you're going to set boundaries at work, set boundaries at work. If you say you're going to finish a project to write a book or go after a dream, do it. If you need to set the bar way lower to actually stick to your word, then do that. Stop setting yourself up to fail. If a five-minute meditation is what you can stick to right now, do a five-minute meditation. If a one-minute meditation is what you can stick to right now, do that. But whatever you say that you're going to do, do it. Even if it means sometimes letting other people down. We avoid letting other people down because we're worried about the impacts on our relationships with them. But then we spend years letting down ourselves instead. What about the impact that has on the relationship with ourselves? All right, habit five that has changed my life is to think about my death. 
Yes, it sounds morbid. And I apologize to anyone who clicked into this episode thinking they were going to get like a list of fun workout routines or supplements to take. And I also promise that there are a ton of tips that get into all of that nitty gritty stuff in the book. We have tips on micro workouts, on eliminating jealousy and imposter syndrome, on making metabolically optimized meals, on healing childhood wounds, and really just so much more. There are, after all, 100 tips in 18 categories. But this one is the third tip in the whole book. And while the book is designed to jump around, to be left out on the coffee table so that you can read the tips you need at that specific moment in your life, I really encourage every single person to read the first three tips, which make up a section called How to Define Your Best Life. Because without that North Star, we can lose sight of the direction that we ultimately want to go. And for me, thinking about my death is one of the most guiding things that I do. It zooms me out to gain a sense of perspective and clarity on what I do and don't want to spend my time on this moment. Like every single second that I spend hating my body, I know 90-year-old me is screaming at me. I can hear her loud and clear. Enjoy every single second you get to be alive on this beautiful planet. What an insane gift. Also, to be completely honest, I don't need 90-year-old me screaming at me to stop thinking about my cellulite or not having a flat belly or any of that because I can feel a far more near future self doing the exact same thing. You know that thing where you look back at photos from two or three years ago and they're photos you didn't want to share at the time because you thought you looked terrible? And then you look back now and you're like, holy cow, I was gorgeous. Why did I waste that time berating myself? Why did I feel bad about myself? Well, you from three years in the future is doing the same thing to you right now. So listen to them and just enjoy the photo now. Okay, but I digress. Thinking about my death, it puts my relationship with social media in check. When I'm scrolling on the couch for hours, I can tap into that 90-year-old version of me and think about what I'll wish the shape of my days looked like. It snaps me out of arguments with Zach, especially ones that are petty and about absolutely nothing, but I am standing my ground because I am stubborn and I just want to win for the sake of winning. What a waste of these precious, limited years that I get to spend with the love of my life. Thinking about my death makes me call my loved ones and read novels and ask good questions and travel even though planes terrify me and linger in bed with my cat for a few extra seconds and put my phone away for the love of all things holy when I'm getting to spend time with the people that I love on this planet. Thinking about my death makes me take risks like writing books and leaving my dream job to start this podcast. Thinking about my death clarifies the people that I want to spend time with and, if I'm being really, really honest, the people I'm less interested in spending my hours and days with. Thinking about my death helps me work out and eat things that fuel my cells because it crystallizes the fact that this is my one body. It doesn't exist to look a certain way for other people. It exists to carry me through this short time I have on this planet, and I need to treat it like the absolutely irreplaceable thing that it is. 
zooming out and getting that sense of perspective changes everything. The next time that you're faced with a problem or a challenge or an anxiety or a stressor, I would love for you to think about the you on your deathbed. What choice will they be happy that you made? What would they want you to let go of? How do they wish you'd spend your days now? The answers are unique to you and they are so, so powerful and so guiding. So we have focus on the base of the pyramid and making sure that we have that base before we add in all of the icing at the top of the pyramid, which is a very mixed metaphor, but you get me. We have prioritizing how much I focus on my relationships. Habit three is reevaluating my relationship with alcohol. Habit four is keeping promises to myself. And habit five is thinking about my death. I'd encourage you to try any of these that resonate, and I would love to hear from you about the habits that have changed your life the most. And of course, we have more on these habits and 95 other ones in 100 Ways to Change Your Life. Okay, let's get into some of your questions. I will try to get to as many of these as possible. You sent in a ton of good ones, so I'm going to do my absolute best. Question one. Do you have an agent or a manager or both? I have a literary agent whose job it was to sell my book to publishers. And then I have my manager who kind of walks the line between manager and talent agent. She's the one who negotiates the brand deals for this podcast and for my social media with obviously a lot of input from me. I say no to incoming companies that want to place ads all the time because I don't think that they're a good fit. And she is so, so, so supportive of that. And then I also give her lists of companies that I love so she can reach out to them, which is my absolute favorite way to do partnerships. And at this point in my career, I'm lucky enough to get to do that quite a bit. So that way, my ads are more of a way to recommend my favorite products to you and to make all of my content free for you to consume, which feels like such a win-win. And then on the manager side, she is involved in all aspects of my career. She helps manage me into getting where I want to go, and she advocates for me getting there. My literary agent is just involved in the book, but my manager, who, Allie, if you're listening, shout out, you are amazing, is by my side for the vast majority of things that I do. Next question, would a television or episodic talk show ever be in your future? On one hand, I think that would be really fun because I love going on TV. It's just incredibly exciting and I love the teamwork element of it where all of these people are coming together to produce this amazing content. But I also think that the conversations are so short that they're forced to be fairly surface level and that would annoy me so much. It is the thing that I hate the most about social media. The vast majority of things suffer. They're flattened and they lose their nuance when you're forced to communicate them in these quick snippets. And it's one of the number one things that I love about this podcast is that we have the time and space to go deeper and to have the types of conversations that my brain is just craving in this quick hit world. So for now, I would say no, because I would lose the long form element, which is what I love most about podcasts and my job in general. If you have dry skin, this is going to be your holy grail. 
I've love, love, loved the Osea Andaria Algae Body Butter for years. It is so rich and creamy and lush, but it sinks right into your skin and it makes your entire body feel moisturized and not greasy at all. I actually do not understand how it's so not greasy and yet so, so hydrating. As fall approaches, I'm leaning into mini spa energy, these micro-relaxing moments you can insert throughout your day. Because peppering your day with tiny bits of calm can have huge impacts on overall cortisol levels, on your anxiety, even how you sleep at night, and the smell of the body butter. Holy cow, it is pure spa energy. You get that like laying on the massage table, melting energy. It is phenomenal. I've gone through at least four tubs of this personally, and that is saying something because it lasts a long ass time. A little bit goes a very long way. I also always keep extras on hand to give out as gifts. It uses ingredients that you would normally see in face care products like seaweed, ceramides, glycerin, which I am obsessed with for hydration and think is so underrated, amino acids, even a skin-identical moisture complex. Also, here is a little tip. If you want to amp up its hydrating power even more, put it on damp skin right after the shower to really lock in all of that moisture and hydration. Like all Osea products, it's formulated with real seaweed to take advantage of its nutrient-rich benefits like deep moisturization. It's also vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Osea has actually been making seaweed-infused products that are safe for your skin and the planet for over 27 years. And I personally absolutely love how everything is ethically tested and sourced. For clean body care that gives you skincare-level results, you've got to try Osea. And right now we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with promo code LizMoody at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and orders over $60 get free shipping. While you're there, get the body butter, of course, but I'm also obsessed with the Vegas Nerve Oil and Pillow Mist, both of which help so much with my anxiety. I love rubbing the oil on my hands and inhaling deeply before I meditate to make it feel more intentional and calming and grounding. You are going to want it all. Go to OSEAMalibu.com, promo code Liz Moody. You know that I am obsessed with electrolyte powders. I use them as a base for my electrolyte chia fresca, which is my absolute go-to drink for fighting constipation when I travel. That recipe is on my Instagram feed, and I highly recommend it. I also love them because it makes it so much easier to drink more water throughout the day. It makes it taste good, but it also makes it actually hydrate you on a cellular level. Let's talk about some of the science behind that for a second. Electrolyte and sodium deficiency is actually at the root of many of the problems that even the healthiest eaters and athletes face. Things like headaches, muscle cramps, fatigue, and even dysregulation of critical hormonal and cellular function. Here's the thing, though. We always hear that we should be drinking more water when we have these symptoms, but drinking more water actually makes the problem worse if electrolytes are not also replaced. Hydration is not just about drinking water. It is critical to hydrate with water plus electrolytes to get to you hydration, which is when we have adequate fluid balance in our bodies. Okay, that was a lot of background. Anyway, these are just a few of the many reasons that I am so excited to be sharing Element with you today. Element is one of my all-time favorite electrolyte drink mixes. You've probably seen me tag and share them on Instagram a bunch. It's made with a science-backed electrolyte ratio and has no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, and no fillers. 
Two of my favorite things about them are their ratios and commitment to science. They're really similar to a lot of my other favorite brands where they're pushing the research field of hydration science forward. But one of the best parts of Element are their amazing, amazing flavors. I feel like they're very chef-y. Like they have a lemon habanero, which I keep meaning to create a mocktail recipe with. They have watermelon, mango chili, and even chocolate, which is actually really delish when added to a smoothie, especially post-workout. If you're listening to this and thinking, wait, isn't sodium bad for you? Let's take a step back. Element is made with a combination of electrolytes and sodium. And it makes sense. We lose both water and sodium when we sweat, so both need to be replaced to prevent muscle cramps, headaches, and the energy dips that result from it. But most people only replace the water since we're told so often about the importance of drinking water. But what happens then is your blood electrolyte levels, especially sodium levels, get diluted and your dehydration symptoms only get worse. Element offers the perfect solution where you can drink your water, you can get your electrolytes, and you can feel ready to take on your day, whether you're doing big workouts or hikes or working at a computer. If you want to try Element for yourself, the Liz Moody Podcast listeners can still receive a free Element sample pack, which includes one packet of every flavor with any order when you order at drinklmnt.com slash lizmoody. And if you don't love it, Element offers no questions asked refunds on all orders, so there is literally no risk in giving it a shot. That's drinklmnt.com slash Liz Moody for your free sample pack today. The next question is, where do you see the podcast in five or 10 years? I'm just going to be very honest with you. I would love to be one of the top podcasts in the world. And I say that not because I particularly care about vanity metrics like what spot I occupy on the charts, but because the bigger your podcast is, the more resources you have that you can devote to it. The more you can reach out to any person in the world and have them come on as a guest. I would love to keep our incredible world-class experts, but I would also love to have on notable figures to tell their personal stories, how they've overcome the struggles in their own lives. I would so love for the podcast to be the thing that I get to completely focus on without the distractions of creating content for social media. This podcast, having these conversations, learning and thinking and growing with all of you is 100% the thing that I feel like I am best at in the world. And I feel so, so strongly that It's the contribution that I'm meant to make on this planet. When you write to me about the ways things that you've learned on this show have changed your life, I'm like, this is what I am here for. That is why I'm always asking you to share episodes with people in your life so that we can continue to grow this show and make it even better for everyone listening. I appreciate all of you so much, and I think that this is the best community in the world, truly. And also, I think it's okay to have big dreams and to voice those big dreams. It's not bragging. Men have been doing it for years. That is how we make dreams come true. Okay, next. What is the best way to stay consistent with healthy habits when you travel? I'd pick two or three foundational habits and I would focus on them and then I would be far more flexible with everything else. So for me, I try to eat vegetables as often as possible. I try to meditate every single day and I try to get some form of movement in. 
But with each of those, I am not very rigid. I might wake up a few minutes early to do a five-minute meditation or sneak in a meditation on the subway. Walking meditations, which Insight Timer has a ton of for free. I know a lot of other apps have them as well. They are so, so nice for traveling because then you're out, you're seeing the city, and you're getting your meditation in. For veggies, I'm usually doing my AG1, so that's at least something. And then at restaurants, I'm always looking for, can I add a salad to this or a veggie side? I also love staying in Airbnbs or VRBOs because then I can go to the store or a farmer's market at the beginning of a trip and I can get some eggs and some broccolini or herbs or some type of fresh produce and ideally a loaf of sourdough and some pastured butter. And then I can make scrambled eggs with fresh veggies using the butter and then I can serve that on top of the toasted sourdough and that's my breakfast every day. It always makes me feel so good. And also I feel like there is nothing more annoying than going out to breakfast every day on vacation. It is the least rewarding meal to go out to by far. And it's the one that makes you feel the worst for the rest of your day, the time that you are supposed to be enjoying your vacation if you eat something without protein or fiber, which is most of the breakfast that you can get out. That's another thing when you're traveling, really focus on the habits that will help you enjoy your trip more versus take away from it. So some people love doing workouts when they're traveling because it gives them the energy and the calm to really savor where they are. While for some people, it feels like it's taking away from the time that they're in the new place and they would rather just walk 30,000 steps all over the city. I'm not not eating a croissant for breakfast because I am depriving myself but because I want the energy to enjoy my trip. And then I can have my croissant later in the day when I have some healthy fat, fiber, and protein in my stomach and I get all of the deliciousness and none of the blood sugar spike and crash. I want you to think about your habits as the tools to enable how you want to feel when you travel. And then I want you to try not to stress about it too much. To the point of the first habit we talked about in this episode, what we do 90% of the time is far, far more important for our overall health than the last 10%. Relax. Some things are going to slide and that is okay. We are not on planet Earth to accomplish all of our habits every single day. Okay, next question. How can I stay consistent with habits? I'll do great for months and then get disrupted. The first thing that I will say here is that not all habits are meant to be forever. Habits are tools that we can rely on to get to our goals. We are not meant to be serving our habits. Our habits are meant to be serving us. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, it's one of the reasons I designed 100 Ways to Change Your Life the way that I did. There are 100 different tools you can rely on at different points in your life because your needs and goals are going to change. So the first question I would ask yourself is, is the habit you're trying to be consistent with still serving you? Or is it maybe time to pick a different tool that's more aligned with your current needs and goals? Sometimes falling off a habit is our brain and body's subtle intuition at work. But let's say it's a habit that you do want to stick to. I think this is a classic case of objects in motion stay in motion and objects at rest stay at rest. You've gone from a state of momentum to inertia, and that inertia is keeping you in a state of rest 
versus the motion that you want to be in. And if you've heard me talk about this mantra before, you know that the best way to get back into motion is to do the tiniest thing to break that inertia. In the case of a lost habit, I would do the tiniest thing relating to that habit. So if you've fallen off of a workout routine, can you do a 15-minute home workout in your pajamas? And then really pay attention to how you feel after and tap into your why, the reason you're wanting to incorporate that habit right now. If you've lost the habit of keeping your house tidy, can you tidy for 10 minutes and then really sit back and notice how you feel in the space? The tiny motion will create the momentum, but you'll notice the other thing I'm having you do is really tap into the reason behind why you're incorporating that habit because that's the flame that's going to really take that flickering kindling and turn it into a full-blown fire. That's what's going to keep you going. So first, dive into if that habit is still serving you and really explore the why because you're going to need that later. And then pick one tiny thing you can do right now that's a step toward the habit that you want to have. And then remind yourself of that why. Really tap into it and use it to create the motivation that you need. Okay, I think we have time for two more quick ones. Let's do how is the process different for publishing a fiction versus a nonfiction book? So the primary difference is that fiction books are sold to publishers as completed books and nonfiction books are sold as proposals. So for nonfiction books, you write a few chapters, you write a table of contents usually, and then you write a number of pages about what the book is all about. And then you work on that with your agent and then your agent, that's your literary agent again, they will sell that to publishers. And then after the book is sold, that's when you write the book and you edit that with your editor and then they publish it. For fiction, to even get an agent, you usually need a fully completed manuscript, which is honestly insane to me. Like you literally write a book for years before you have any idea whether it will be published, which is why all of my friends who are successful fiction writers really say you have to find the love in the process. And because you have a completed manuscript by the time you're even looking for an agent, you'll often work on a lot more edits with that agent, and then you will do another round of edits with the editor. Okay, last one. Let's do... Oh, I love this one. Looking back, what advice would you give your pre-podcast self? I would say that it will all work out completely differently but somehow way better than you ever imagined. To be honest, this is advice that I would give my past self at almost every phase of my life, and I need to be better at remembering that this is likely the advice that my future self would give me. I hope you loved this episode. I always love sitting down and getting to really chat with you on these solo episodes, and I hope you're taking away some nuggets that are useful for your own life. If there's anything that you think would resonate with anyone you know, any habit or approach to forming habits that you think would help out someone in your life, please send them a link. As we've talked about today, sharing is the best way to support the podcast, and it is so, so appreciated. And you can now grab 100 Ways to Change Your Life wherever books are sold. I've heard from a few podcast listeners who are worried that the book will feel redundant with the podcast, and I want to address those concerns really quickly. 
First of all, I created this book first and foremost for you, my podcast family. I wanted you to have an all-in-one resource that you could quickly turn to the tip that you needed the most to address the problems you wanted solved. It is much easier to flip through a book than to listen back through hundreds of hours of episodes. Second, there is so much science that is in this book that was not on the podcast. Once we had our categories defined, I built out tips based on them to make sure that I was addressing every aspect of your life. And then within each tip, I added so much science to the information that podcast guests had shared. And then there's all of my best wisdom, much of which I've never shared anywhere else in the book. And then each bit of science comes with an action tip, all of which are specific to the book. You find out exactly what to do to change your life today. And then finally, one of the most interesting parts is you can see where the experts overlap, the habits and tools that they all agree on. It also makes an incredible gift. So if you love the type of stuff we talk about on here, grab a copy for a friend or family member to have on hand for the holidays. You can get your copy today at 100waystochangeyourlife.com or wherever books are sold. And yes, there is also an audio version and it's read by me in a cute little studio in Colorado. So you can also grab that. If you are new here, if this is your first episode of the Liz Moody podcast, welcome. I am so happy to have you here. Make sure that you're following the podcast on whatever app you like to listen on. You're just going to go to the main podcast page. That's the one that lists all of the Liz Moody podcast episodes, and you'll see the word follow under the logo on Spotify. And then there's a little follow with a plus sign button on the top right of that same page on Apple Podcasts. That way you will not miss out on any new episodes. They will appear right in your feed every single Wednesday. And you do not want to miss out because we have some very exciting ones coming up, including an amazing series on why we are all so lonely and exactly what to do about it, and a very juicy advice episode that gets into all of your NSFW sex questions. Trust me, you do not want to miss out, so make sure that you are following. Okay, I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday on the next episode of the Liz Moody Podcast. Money was such a source of anxiety for me for a long time. I'm always talking about building good, healthy habits, but I didn't have any when it came to financial wellness. Once I started getting educated about my money, I began to feel empowered about it. And pretty soon I was like, how did I let this cause me so much anxiety for so long? If you are struggling just like I was, you need to check out YNAB. YNAB is an app that teaches a set of simple money habits to help you spend, save, and give without guilt or second-guessing. It's one of the apps that experts I talk to recommend over and over because it's grounded in techniques that you won't see anywhere else that actually work. You start off by learning four simple core habits that are actually genius and have completely changed the way that I think about money. And then it guides you through saving so you are never caught off guard by a surprise expense again, so you feel safe and secure with money. But maybe more importantly, it also helps you fit the things that you love into your spending plan so that you know you have the money for that bachelorette party or that weekend getaway that you've been dreaming of. 
Also, and I love this, you can add up to six users to one account. So if you manage money as roommates or with your partner, it has got you covered. It has incredibly high ratings on all platforms and has become a huge cult hit because it's helped millions of people actually build the financial life of their dreams, even people who truly thought it was impossible. Check out YNAB and learn the habits with a one-month free trial, no credit card required, at www.yabb.com ynab.com slash Liz Moody. You'll get a month completely free and be able to see for yourself what a big difference it makes. I promise you're going to get back way more than you spend. That's www.ynab.com slash Liz Moody.